Welcome to The Wellspring, where the grace of God is bubbling up for you and for all people wherever you are. The Wellspring Podcast is a digital ministry of Muhlenberg Lutheran Church, coming to you from the friendly city of Harrisonburg, Virginia, where we pray that this time together may truly be a wellspring of God's grace for all people who listen, equipping you with new ways to live out Christ's love. Welcome to the Wellspring. It is a place for grace and faith and life and you. Hello there. I'm Pastor Alex Zuber. I use he, him pronouns, and I serve as the associate pastor of Muhlenberg Lutheran Church, overseeing youth, campus, and young adult ministry. It is so good for us to be together. This is episode number six, titled Living Intentionally. This is the final episode of our first series of this podcast, concluding our study on the book Trauma Stewardship, an everyday guide to caring for self while caring for others, by Laura Vandernoot Lipsky. Today's episode covers chapter 12, The Fifth Direction, a daily practice of centering ourselves, and the book's conclusion. Our guest host is Dr. Mark Warner, the retired Senior Vice President of Student Affairs at James Madison University, and a Muhlenberg member. The conclusion of this book draws us to a place where we can find our center, understand ourselves, and remember that this self-work is not selfish. As we each strive to bring compassion to our daily lives, whether that's vocationally or in simple moments each day, we are meant to live intentionally with a clear and consistent sense of who we are. Mark discusses the development of a personal mission statement, and we conclude with a reflection on Luke 4, 16-30, where Jesus lays out his own mission statement for life and ministry, but is quickly misunderstood by those in his hometown. In this, we see that living intentionally and centering ourselves on our own values and calling is a faithful and selfful way of life that makes us fertile ground for growth and a wellspring of grace for all in need. Well, I am very excited to uh, have an opportunity to, um, I don't know if wrap up is the is the right way to say this, because I like to think that we're opening up this, this conversation for the future and for people to carry this with them. Um, I'm, I'm grateful to be here with, uh, with you, with, uh, with Dr. Mark Warner, who is a... Uh, Professor of mine from uh, from mine is at JMU, and uh, I'm grateful uh, now to be uh, co-workers in the gospel here at Muhlenberg, and uh, and to bring that relationship uh, to this conversation, a final conversation on trauma stewardship, um, and the the concluding chapter, the sense of the fifth direction here, uh, and the conclusion to Laura Vandernut Lipsky's book. So. Um, Mark, welcome. Glad to have you uh, you here. And I guess can you uh, give a little background on on yourself and who you are and and why uh, why you so willingly said yes to being a part of this uh, this episode six conversation? Well, first of all, just what a privilege to be here. Uh, I've had the opportunity to listen to the other podcasts and the folks you interviewed, and I was so impressed. And so it is. It really is a privilege and uh, an honor to be here. Um, when you asked me to do this, there was no question in my mind. I was happy to do it. Uh, for me, it's also fun because um, having had you as a student, 
um, and I was your teacher, now you're my teacher, and you're, uh, and I'm the student, and so um, I really appreciate that and, and appreciate the wonderful work that you're doing. Um, you know, I, th I think I'm probably here because I've worked with trauma during my whole career. Mm -hmm. um, I've lived with trauma, and I've learned from trauma. <laughs> Um, I'm an old guy. I'm the oldest guy that you've interviewed. Um, and, um, you know, I, I look back at experience and what experience has taught me um, in a helping profession. Um, you know, and I served a lifetime in higher education and, uh, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> working with students and helping them grow, helping colleagues grow, and helping myself grow. Um, and it's been a, a wonderful, wonderful journey. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, I think back, um, and and I, I think back and, and hurt myself a little bit, like to say it was twelve years ago when I was sitting in uh, your leadership class in in college. But I know when I when I read this last chapter um, of of the book <clears throat> and this this sense of the fifth direction, we've well, we had an opportunity last week to talk about you know the four cardinal directions and what that what that means within her understanding of. Uh, navigating in this new way of understanding uh, in the midst of trauma stewardship. Um, but the fifth direction here and her, her conclusion really brought me right back to that leadership class. And mm -hmm. so that was uh, one of the, I'll, I'll, this is one of the first clear cut names I had in mind of somebody that I would love to be able to sit down and talk uh, with about this book because I was, I was so glad just as I was reading this book to, to find that it landed here. Um, in a lesson that I, that was a challenge to me because I said I'm, I'm really glad to hear this again from her perspective, um, feeling a little defeated in that oh I should have known this I've heard this lesson before but it's a good one to to remember uh, to come back to this uh, this fifth direction um, that is uh, more internal and she talks about the daily practice of centering ourselves um, and you know it was a uh, you know, a lighthearted chapter here that begins with uh, there are only so many ways to commit suicide when you're 13 years old. She really leans into the way that her trauma helped form her and, and who she is and, and the ways that um, that this pain became a part of the reason she wanted to help people and I think demonstrates a lot of this practice of the trauma mastery that she was lifting up uh, in this book before of of understanding, and it's okay if that is your uh, if that's your drive, and if that's that thing that's motivated you to lean into trauma work and caring for others. Um, but then to to not be passive in it in a way that allows you to be consumed by your own pain and helping others. What has been in your experience of seeing people's motivations in general, but but po folks that are trying to um, have that trauma mastery or overcome that pain in the kind of work that you've uh, that you've done? Well, I, I think that um, there are so many different types of trauma. And there's personal trauma, there's uh, organizational trauma, there's societal trauma, there's world trauma. Mm -hmm. But the common thread for all of those is it affects us as an individual. Yeah. And so we all react differently. And um, so, you know, uh, 
one one example I'll use to just kind of jump us into this discussion is uh, I had a role on campus uh, in student affairs and uh, I was the chief student affairs officer and I was on the phone with a woman whose daughter had just died of an overdose and the mother's on the other end of the phone screaming at me saying you killed my daughter and it was her way of she was dealing with grief yeah you know an unimaginable grief and it certainly was not a time to defend the institution or anything else it was a time to let her vent to listen, to be empathic. And, um, you know, when I got off the phone, I had to realize she wasn't talking to Mark Warner. Yeah. <laughs> she wasn't saying I killed her daughter. But we as a organization did, is in her mind. Um, and we all deal with it in a very different way. But for me, you know, I had many events like that. And... What I had to learn was I had to take care of myself yeah. also. And it's, the, as we previously have talked about, it's not that idea of being selfish. It's, to me, it's being self-full. Mm. It is, I have to fill myself up with reserves, with things that provide energy, with things that allow me to be resilient in these tough times and I have to I had to figure out what does that look like how do you do that you know early on in my career I was gonna be a psychologist and in my doctoral program I did my first internship in Charlottesville and I dealt with mostly suicidal people and I took them home with me every single night yeah and I could not get rid of that and so, all of a sudden, I had this epiphany. Hey, Mark, you probably shouldn't be a psychologist. <laughs> and what I discovered was where I needed to be was finding people who were healthy and help them exceed their own perceived potential and enhance human potential and move from that place up. Yeah. But I had to learn it the hard way that... I just uh, I I was not able to to leave them at the office. Yeah, because and that, I think that that work of self reflection and knowing yourself is important because who who possibly could have a conversation like you had on the phone with this mother who is grieving and and not take that personally in some way mm-hmm. and and I, I'm grateful that you know in the role. Someone was able to look at you and say, you are, you are a gifted and compassionate enough person that we are going to entrust you with this role mm-hmm. of caring for this person who is experiencing the worst grief of their life. Mm-hmm. And we're going to trust you to be caring and compassionate for yourself enough to care for yourself after that conversation. Because like that, that to me is the, is the premise of this whole book, is to say, I'm glad that you were doing that trauma work. I'm glad that you were there to care for her. 
you would not be able to be there for your for the next one, for the different one, for your partner, and for your friends, for your family, for your colleagues, if you continue to dwell in that, if you didn't have the ability to, to step back, reframe, she's not calling Mark Warner a killer. She might be in her own words, but this is this is grief. I can I can be able to reframe this right. to to carry it in a in a healthy way because it is going to take a toll and and knowing at a time when you say even though i've i've had these practices where i'm i'm getting better at letting these things go or or setting it down i'm still carrying some of this and so you know that that reflection of saying i can't do that kind of work all the time i i just knowing how knowing my empathetic self i need to have a few more wins along the way of i'm helping somebody to to succeed and thrive Rathering, rather than helping someone get back to a baseline of functioning. Right. Because um, it's hard work. And there are people who, who do that and are committed to that and, and, and are, are um, uplifted by that. And I'm so grateful for those that, that do it. But there's a reason I'm a parish pastor and not a trauma chaplain. Yeah. I can do trauma chaplaincy. I would much rather be a parish pastor. Absolutely. Like. Uh, being able to see some of the wins, being able to sit down and have a conversation like this on a podcast, it's not something I'd be doing in trauma chaplaincy. Right. Um, and right. so it's a very different calling, but I'm, I'm grateful for that self-reflection there. Um, but that, that sense of self that you bring to it, because you are bringing yourself into your work, I think that's been you know so much of an important thing that you've taught me and is, and is such an important thing that's here in, in this section um, where it is centering ourselves which I know I say it and there's that there, there's that revulsion for me of saying that feels selfish but you were talking about being selfful when, when you see this practice that she lifts up here this daily practice of centering ourselves what does that mean to you in a way that's not selfish but is um, selfful or, or compassionate towards self what, is, what does that mean to you it really means Living life intentionally, be to me that's it, the daily practice. And if I live in life intentionally, then I'm going to do myself better, and I'm going to do the people with whom I interact better. You know, so so for example, I did have to smile when she said this because um, I believe in brainwashing. Is that okay? I, I mean, I think it, it depends I, I do, on context. I, but. <laughs> um, I brainwashed both my children. Uh, every single morning before school, I, t- I said two things to them. I love you, and who are you going to help out today? Because I wanted them to know that they are always going to be loved. But I also wanted them to know that they have a job. And that's to help somebody else out today. Mm-hmm. That's their calling. You know, I also brainwash myself in that I ask myself two questions. How are you going to make a difference today? And what's going to be the, the adventure? Mm-hmm. And when I go to bed at night, I know I did everything in my power to make a difference. I always, always find an adventure. And so I think it's so important. And I think what she's saying here is, how do you invite your day? What are you telling yourself? You know, if I say, if I wake up and say it's going to be a terrible day, guess what? It's going to be a terrible day. If I say it's going to be a great day, it's going to be a great day. 
I'm the only person who determines that. Nobody else. And so for me, it is not selfish, but it is saying, okay, I'm going to embrace this day. And I'm going to do everything I can to live out what my mission is and what was important to me. And, but I can only live one day at a time. I don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. I don't, I don't have any idea. Um, so by listening to what we tell ourselves in the morning, I think is really, really important. Really important on how we start our day. Yeah. Well, and I think that, you know, I, I, I guess in, in hearing you say that, I, I too believe in brainwashing. And, and it, it's going to feel like we're stepping into weirder and murkier waters, but I think that's part of what we do uh, as a church. Um, and, and it matters what we wash our brains with. Yeah, and what exactly. we wash, wash our whole lives with, because I mean, you're talking about that, that if it's that negativity, if it's that self hatred, if it's that uh, you know that sense that you're never enough, um, that's that's going to be dangerous. Um, but I think about you know the act of worship. Usually, we begin with either confession and forgiveness, or we begin with Thanksgiving for baptism. Both of which we recognize that we are washed. In yeah. water and the word that we are, we are, we are sinners who have who have failed and fallen in so many different ways, and we are loved. That that I love you. Who are you going to help today? That feels like the rhythm of of confession to 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 me. Mm-hmm. You know, gets mm-hmm. it's, it's us naming this litany of ways that we have that we have hurt others and hurt our relationship with ourselves and with our God, and then we hear God's responses say, yeah, I love you. Yeah. So who are you going to help today? What are you going to do with that? Right. What are you going to do with this grace that you've received? And I feel like the whole flow of worship that comes after that Mm -hmm. is, okay, so what are we going to do with this grace? We've had forgiveness proclaimed over us now here in the beginning. Let's sing about it. Let's read about it. Mm -hmm. Let's reflect on it. Let's feast about it. And let's be sent to share it, um, which, you know, the, over the entire time that we've been recording this series for the podcast, we've been doing these historic worship services um, as we celebrate our 175th anniversary. And I've appreciated that opportunity to see the intentionality behind all those liturgical pieces to say, to see the ways that they've come together in the ways that we worship now, that it, it is about living intentionally. Um, that act of worship, for me, and this is one of the reasons why I love a liturgical tradition, is I love that rhythm that I come back to every week, that I don't have to necessarily overthink it. I just know I'm going to fall back into that rhythm of the way that I want to orient my life. Yeah. I, wanna, I, want to, I want to gather each day in humility and grace. Mm-hmm. And I want to have each day be marked by curiosity of around the word and around God's people. And I want to be fed so that I can feed. And I want to be sent to share that with the world. Like that, that kind of rhythm yeah. of worship and the intentionality that's, that's, that's come together in the formation of the way that we worship today, I, I feel like is, is a part of the practice that, while she might not be talking about it in these terms because she's bringing her own worldview into this, bringing a, a, a Christian lens to this, that this intentionality is the art of worship. It is liturgical uh, in, in a sense of, uh, and, and so I lift that up to say we do this on Sundays, 8.30 and 11. Welcome to join us. <laughs> but you talk about doing this liturgy in the car. 
with your daughters in the morning as you drop them off for school. And this liturgy with yourself of, of having this rhythm of these questions that you ask yourself to live with, um, with intention. And, and I, I love that. I think that, you know, again, this is the, the nerdy Lutheran liturgical theologian here to say life is liturgical. That's the way that I see it. And, and you've got this, this sense that you're bringing to it as, uh, as you see it. So um, how, how have you, I, I see it from this lens of what it means to be a worshiping Lutheran, you know, in the various circles that, that you've walked in, in your life, how have you helped others to live with intention what are the what are the kind of feelings that you get from others when you when you bring this kind of work to uh to a conversation through to community you know i think um part of it is whether it's in the classroom with students or whether it's facilitating corporate retreats whatever um i think it starts with helping people understand their values so then they can use those, clarify their values to create what their mission is. Hmm. What's my purpose in life? Because we can't be intentional about our day if I don't know what my purpose is. i got to have my purpose. And I think the other thing that's really important with the intentionality, intentionality without action is nothing. Hmm. We have to act on the intentionality. Good intentions are wonderful, but that's all they, you know, they're good intentions. So we have to act on it. So that's why I've always been a believer in having a mission statement, Mm. having something to guide my day, and that will help inform my actions throughout the day, is what it does. Um, And so it is not just being purposeful about life, but purposeful about what is, how, how does that look on a daily basis? So, so for you, what does that look like on a daily basis? Start with this sort of personal mission statement. What is, what does that look like for, uh, for Mark Warner? What is the, what was the process of getting to, uh, to that for you? Well, so I've, I've had a personal mission statement for, 30-some years now, I guess. And it's been revised, I think, three times in 30 years. That's a lot. That's a lot. And um, the latest revision got put in the form of a prayer Mm. because I needed a little more help. if you don't mind, I'll just share it. Please. Yeah. And that way, then I can talk from that. God, please grant me the grace to be a loving husband, father, and grandfather. The agency to connect with Jenny, Sarah, and Katie, and grandchildren intentionally. The power to transform lives. The ability to make a difference. The eyes to find new adventures. The courage and the wisdom to lead the humility to serve, the fortitude to be a man of integrity, the fervor to learn and laugh each day, the passion to live life to the fullest, and the strength to integrate mind, body, and spirit. So what that does is it says, okay, 
If that's your mission statement, what are you going to do today to enact that? Mm. So, for example, um, the when when I think about the piece about transforming lives, it is how am I going to make a conversation with somebody deeper? I despise superficial conversations. Now, in my last 20 years at work, I spent a lot of time at cocktail parties. <laughs> I did not enjoy cocktail parties. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm an introvert first, but secondly, I want to have a deep conversation with somebody. I don't want to flit from person to person to person to person to person because of my job. And so I probably usually erred on the side of, I'm still going to have a deep conversation with somebody. And because that's when relationships are developed. That's when trust is developed. That's when we learn about somebody. And so I've worked very hard on when I'm with somebody, I want to be present with them. And I want to listen to them. And I want to discover who they are as as a person. But I also want to do whatever I can to help them be successful. And so in my daily conversations, I work really hard on that. Um, I, uh, I do things throughout the day to keep me positive and to keep me thinking the right way. So, for example, and you'll laugh at this, but all of think of how many passwords we have. <laughs> yep. All of my passwords are inspirational. I mean, it's like that license plate, you know? I make them like a license plate. Yeah. Uh, That message. And they're inspirational. Because I need the positive injections for me. (laughs) You know, and, and one of my mantras that I use is create a great day. Well, nobody else is responsible for creating your great day. I'm it. So I have to do it. So that's why I use passwords. Or when I used to work, because I'm an old retired guy, when I would walk up the steps to my office, I would whistle. Hmm. I would whistle saying, this is the tone for the day. Because the kind of job I had, much of it being trauma, the kind of job I had was it'd be really easy to just get sucked in the troubles of the day and by the whistling was okay you gonna influence other people how are you gonna do that today so it's those kind of things that I think you know it they help me we all have to discover what's gonna work for us yeah I think Uh, but what are the daily reminders for us we have to have the daily reminders, I think, for the action part. I like that. Well, I, I especially like your when you talk about the, the daily reminders, because we, we did this activity when I was taking uh, your leadership class. And, you know, this, this process of understanding our values, this process of, of, of discerning that and distilling that out into a mission statement that could help me to live out those values, um, the... Uh, 
I, I, I'd look for it. I, I don't have. I know I have the document saved somewhere. I actually think I have a printed copy in a file at home. Um, but because I, I printed this nice color copy and I hung it up by my door uh, in my in my apartment when I was in college. Um, but the truncated version of this that had three major points for my mission statement because it helped me remember it. Um, but it had some explanation with each one of them. Um, my mission statement was die today, serve today, seek today. Mm, nice. And I, I, and, and so the, um, the, the, the first point was about the, I, I had paired each one of them with a, with a Bible verse. I knew I was headed to seminary and felt like the right thing to do. It still feels like the right thing to do. Um, but it was it was this aspect of uh, greater there uh, there is no greater love than this than to lay down one's life for one's friends, um, you know. It's if I'm if I'm looking up to to Jesus Christ, the perfecter of the faith, uh, to say he was willing to to lay his life down. And I don't think that means that I'm called to be a martyr every day. But there's this. I think there there is a a, a selfish side. Uh, to me, a, a side that easily takes self care and turns it into self centered. Where I say I'm going to let that part die, uh, to 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 be drowned in these baptismal waters and resurrected to new life and in, in the love of Christ, um, and to recognize that there's a degree of sacrifice that that comes with living for others, and and I want to to lead with that, um, and the serve today was rooted in the when you give, do so in such a way that your left hand doesn't know what your right hand is doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't about serving to be seen serving, but to make serving an element of the of the authentic self. Um, I think I paired that with a quote that my uh, one of my favorite lessons that my dad taught me when I was little was uh, uh, being a man of good character is doing the right thing even when no one is looking. And and so I thought that those two went well together. And seek for me was about seeking truth, seeking joy, seeking life, seeking love. And and Jesus saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That I am all, and I'm always seeking that. It's always going to look something different. And, and I can rejoice in the ways that I've found it, and know kind of that I'm going to find an adventure today. That I think that to me was part of the the adventure, and it was the it was the more. Uh, optimistic and forward-oriented edge of uh, of that of saying I'm going to um, the the dying today implies that my day doesn't be, doesn't end before it begins but I'm rising to new life yeah. every day um, but I liked the daily reminder aspect of that and so I would I took a whiteboard marker and I wrote it on my mirror in my bathroom um, and so I just wrote die today serve today nice. seek today mm-hmm. um, and my my roommate Tim. Uh, took a different colored whiteboard marker, put an asterisk next to the whole thing, and at the bottom of the mirror wrote, this may be difficult to do if done in the above order. <laughs> That's good. That's good. But you know, I love the, that, though. I love that. And so now every time I think of that mission statement, I laugh. Yeah. In a good way, because yeah. I think of my friend Tim, who, who made a funny joke, and that, to me, it just... Right made that work and it makes it continue to work for me and so um i i love that that sense of finding the daily reminders uh, whether it's passwords or whether you write it on your mirror mm-hmm. um i had a colleague who uh remind who would remind himself uh, he put a little post-it note that said pray 
uh, on his speedometer in his car when the dial got above mm-hmm. uh, 75. Because he said, if I'm, dri- he said, right. if I'm <laughs> driving above 75, I need to be remembering yeah, to pray. Right. Um, but, he, you know, that reminder in places that you could see it. So to live according to your values and to right. be intentional. Right. It was really, it has been really important. It is really important. And it's something that I, um, that I value quite a bit. But I appreciate that you, you talked about the, um, the revisions that this has undergone in, in 30 years. And as I'm looking at this and saying, you know, I wrote this 12 years ago when I was a senior in college. Is it, and, and I look, within the next month, God willing, I'm going to be a dad. Like yeah. my life is about to change completely in in the next at the time of this recording, 29 days, and so um, based on based on a on a due date, which could be wrong, could be right, and so I, I look at things like that and say my life is about to turn upside down in so many ways. Will this mission statement? remain the same right does it need right. to be revised what is the process for knowing when to revise well one of the one of the revisions for me was kids mm. it was and so my first two bullets in my mission have to do with family the very first two have to do with I mean God please grant me but then mm-hmm. but it was because it was I was in a job that monopolized my time yeah and at the point of the revision, it was, Mark, you said this is important. You need to change your mission statement so that's the first thing you're reading about is your family so that you can be reminded to do that. So the revision process really for me was more of a gut feeling of I'm not living up to what I said is important. Mm-hmm. And so I need to really focus on this and and look at that mission statement again and say, okay, well, these are your values. How are they reflected? Oh, and then do that calendar audit. Is your, does your calendar reflect mm. the values that you espouse? <laughs> Oftentimes they don't. And so that's another time to have a serious conversation with yourself. Um, so I think it's a feel, a, a feel thing of, oh, it's time to, I need to recalibrate what does that rhythm look like? What does that life look like for me? Yeah. Well, because in the busyness of a of, of a job like that, and I think in in for for anybody who's listening, uh, who is wanting to bring compassion to the world around them, like that's the that's the foundation that I I've been trying to bring to this whole conversation. Is if we want to bring compassion to the world around us, we're going to be interacting with people's trauma because we're all dealing with trauma in some way. Um, I think that in the in the midst of that, in, in the midst of, of compassion-driven vocations, in the midst of compassion-driven uh, outlooks on life, we can become overwhelmed by that. We can become consumed by that to the point that we don't feel like we're living intentionally anymore. That we feel like we're just right. we're just moving along with the current of all these different things that are that are happening, and so. Um, I, I appreciate this as an opportunity to say this is my th- this is my guide point. This is this is this sense of self. Mm-hmm. Um, this strong sense of self is going to mean that I'm never truly feeling lost. Even if there's times in life where I'm feeling like I'm getting pulled in different directions, that's going to happen. Right. But I am staying rooted and grounded in who I am. 
Um, and I think she gets into that in this in this conversation of, um, you know, the loss of her mother and the birth of her daughter being these two epiphany moments for her. One where she felt like she lost her faith in a in a major way, and then one where she felt like she rediscovered it um, in, in this. And and through that, came to a deeper understanding of what it means to be living with intentionality, with this mm-hmm. sense of daily intention. And so she's not quite framing it in this section as like a personal mission statement, this overarching um, this overarching thing that, that can in, that last for 30 years with some helpful reframing along the way. She's, she's talking about some small intentions along the way. Yeah. But it feels like what you've lifted up there with your mission statement, and I can see it in, in mine as well, there's little moments in that. And to say, I'm going to have a different focus to this today. Right. Today is my day for focusing on being a better husband, father, grandfather, because right. um, it's a Saturday with the family. Mm-hmm. Um, today I'm having coffee with a former student, or I'm on a podcast with a former student, right. and so I'm going to pour a little bit more into that transforming yeah. lives. Like the, I like that you've got those elements of, of this broad statement that have smaller intentions that can be a part of it and that can be a focus and a guide because every day is different. It is. And, and this, but this general sense that, that you talk about and carrying into life I think is really, really important. And that's the, I think it's a helpful guiding framework for being able to have each of these smaller intentions that she's talking about that can be nimble enough to meet, uh, to meet the days that we yeah. experience. Yeah. And, and I think the other thing that's really important is where the in- the intention helps us is it makes me more uh, 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 it helps me grow mm. you know it, it's I'm more fertile ground for growth through that you know I, I didn't all of a sudden wake up one day and say okay I know how to deal with trauma mm. you know my mom had MS for 30 years and so we watched mom go from being an athlete. She discovered MS on the golf course. Well, um, she saw two golf balls instead of one, and that was double vision. That was her first symptom. To becoming a quadriplegic her last seven years, looking at a ceiling and four walls. However, the most positive person I've ever known in my whole life to this day, and the most spirit-filled and when people would visit mom, they would come out laughing, crying because they're happy or full of meaning. And, you know, she taught me it's not what happens to you that matters. It's what you do with what happens. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I look at that. And then that was a training ground for me on how to deal with trauma. I mean, I remember almost, well, I was taking mom to church one day. Well, we all were. But... We pushed her wheelchair when she could go to church. I almost dumped her down a set of steps. I'll never forget it, you know. But it's one of those things where we had to live with it. Yeah. And she had to live with it. But I got to see how she lived with her trauma, which informed how I could live with trauma. You know, then we... So she was a role model. Then I look at today with... I have a daughter with stage four cancer and the way she is dealing with that in her positivity and her outlook. And, you know, I, 
it's kind of cool because I've got these bookends of inspiration, you know, on both sides. Um, but it's all about trauma. I mean, there's the trauma is that thread that comes through. How are we going to deal with it? And so I think when we open ourselves to saying, we're going to have trauma in our life, how are we going to use it? How are we going to grow from it? Um, how are we going to use our trauma to help somebody else? I mean, I know my mother would have been an extraordinary helper to other people if she would have been fully abled. But I can't imagine she touched more lives than she did as a person with MS. You know, it's amazing. It's yeah. amazing. But that's traumatic going from an athlete to somebody who's laying in a bed. So I think part of the, the, what I got from reflecting on this book was how are we going to use our trauma? No. How are we going to use it? Well, and she lifts up a few different models for that. I mean, there is this element of, of trauma mastery where, mm-hmm. where we see this leaning into uh, something that is like a field that is a source of this. She, I mean, she talks about um, experiencing cancer with her, her mom and then leaning into this sort of the medical side and the, and the help that's there. And there's certainly folks that I've, um, that, you know, have, have experienced pain. And it's, I know it's part of my journey of experiencing pain within a congregational setting and experiencing trauma within a church to then say, I'm not going to run away from, from church. I'm going to lean in and I want to lead in a, in a different way. I want to, I, I want to lead a congregation in a way that no one experiences that kind of pain that I felt. Um, it's, that can be a, a I don't want to say dangerous game that that because it's it's not. I mean, it, it, but the trauma mastery is an important thing to be intentional about. I think it's a it's a really important place to be able to be intentional about the trauma that we've experienced um, and the way that we interact with trauma then um, in the work that we do in the, in the relationships that we have uh, to know what we're carrying into the room with us. Yeah. Having that sense of intentionality lets us be realistic about it and not become overwhelmed by it. To know when we are becoming overwhelmed and to be able to step back and reorient, recenter, refine these four other different directions that are going to point us in the right direction when we're beginning to say, okay, I'm feeling a little in the wilderness right now. I'm getting a little yeah. overwhelmed. I'm recognizing one of those 16 warning signs of trauma exposure response. So there, there is that. But there's another dimension that she lives, which is to say... I'm going to deal with my trauma in my own healthy system over here, and I, I've got my ways of processing that. I'm, 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 you know, seeking counseling, and I'm dealing, dealing with that. I'm going to go do my work that is way over here. The two, I'm, I'm not going to be related to that. I could say I experienced church pain, and so now I am going to go do compassionate, caring work of building community that's in no way connected to a church. That's also a, a valid way, I think, of uh, of bringing that. So it's it's about sure. that understanding of how we how we bring ourselves to it. But sure. I, I appreciate that saying we're we're gonna experience trauma. We're gonna experience it in big ways and small ways. You lifted up this, you know, individual to global, um, and and so as I as I think about that, I I wonder. I hear your 
your optimism and your positivity and and the this this the positivity that comes from your own uh, sense of mission and, and and sense of self have you ever felt like it's not been well received or you've been criticized for that in the face of how are you how are you whistling on a day like this as you walk into right. the office? Do you right. feel like it's ever misunderstood or, or poorly received? Oh, totally. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, it, it's interesting because a lot of talks I give, um, I let people ask questions, and they say, are you really happy all the time with this? It, it, it's not meant as a compliment, I don't think. It, um, <laughs> and my answer is, yeah, I really am happy most of the time. And it's my genes. Mm -hmm. It's my parents. You know, I saw my dad. I saw my mom. I saw them embrace life. I was so fortunate that, you know, and I don't take that for granted at all. And, but I also know that me being happy all the time is because I work at being happy all the time. You know, I I go back to, to my daughter who has cancer. Um, when I take her to all her infusions at UVA, and it's an, at over an hour drive every way, every each way, mm. we have a blast. We talk, we laugh, we tell stories. We're dumb. We talk about cancer research, you know, and those have become so cherished. And part of it for me was. I did have to make a decision, how am I going to deal with cancer? And so my mantra became faith, hope, love, and create a lot of new memories. Well, the intentional part of that is create those new memories. Yeah. And what are the memories I want to create? Do I want to sit there and wallow? Do I want to waste our time together commiserating? Nah. Let's don't do that. Let's bring our time together and create better memories than we could ever imagine. That's it. So, you know, some people may... I've been accused of being... Well, I don't know that your generation even knows who Pollyanna is, but uh, <laughs> my generation has been seeing that world as a beautiful thing. I'll take that criticism all day long hmm. because it served me. I'm one of the happiest people I know, and I'm okay with that. Well, and I think that's great because that, I mean, and that is, you said it's my genes. It's who I am. It's that. That's that's you, and that's what you you bring to to life, and I think that comes from this strong sense of self um, that's there, again, not selfish, but a clear sense of who I am. And I say, I am, you know, the lines say I've never been sad before. Yeah. Like, I've experienced sadness and pain. And but you've committed to dealing with it and reconciling it in in a way of hope, and and I, I love that. And I also love the people who you know will take a different uh, a different track from that, and and say I am going to sit with this. I'm going to sit with this pain, 
right now because that is my job. You know, we talk we talk about the difference of the, the psychologist versus the, uh, the higher education, yeah. the drama chaplain versus the parish pastor. Like there are different people who who do different do different jobs. And I look at artists. I, I've been doing a lot of reading about. Um, Neurodiversity and understanding different neurodiversity and um, you know from ADHD to dyslexia and and autism and understanding these different ways that neurodiversity contributes to group creativity and our and and different levels of giftedness. Hmm. Um, one of the chapters of this book that I'd been reading was about uh, mood disorders, and and he leads by saying, "I'm not here to say that depression is a good thing. Like de- depression isn't." isn't good and no one who's depressed is like oh this is the best way to be (laughs) but there is a well of creativity that comes from this place of of, of depressive mood disorder he said without depression we don't have Vincent Van Gogh yeah right you know without without heartbreak we don't have Taylor Swift (laughs) but I look I look at these people right who take pain and transform it into something beautiful, mm-hmm. and and it can be melancholy. It can be, um, it can be music that makes millions of people around the world ball their eyes out every time they they hear it, um, because they connected with something so mm-hmm. beautiful and pure in that. And mm-hmm. so it's this very different self, sense of they've brought themselves to this, mm-hmm. and 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 there's nothing wrong with that just as there's nothing wrong with this this unrelenting positivity that I, I've seen you bring mm-hmm. to life and this and this building up because I, I, I think uh, there's two different ways of being very realistic about pain um, and and to say that uh, for one person to say that the pain uh, the pain is real but joy is the fertile ground where things can grow, and I want to grow things around this pain. Yeah. Um, for someone else to say, the pain is fertile ground for something beautiful to grow out of it. Yeah, like, right, I, right. I, those, are, those are two different senses, I think, that come from a deep sense of self mm-hmm. and, a, and, a, and a rich understanding of who I am and what gifts I bring to this world. Um, it is intentional. It's not passive. It's not just being... Blown yeah. about to and yeah. fro, um, but I, I think I, I yeah. so agree with that. And um, but I think for both sides, in order to thrive in this world, we have to figure out how to, how to take care of ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, because for example, in the trauma of my job, I also was very intentional about okay Mark what are you going to do to take care of yourself yeah well guess what I'm going on my calendar I worked out every day at lunch that was my time to regroup to refresh to re-energize and then I was ready for whatever the end of the day had (laughs) you know or I play pickleball or I do woodworking you know, or I know what makes me happy. Yeah. And so I think we each need to figure out what makes us happy so that we can go to that place when we've dealt with the trauma. And when we've dealt with the hard times, we can go to that place and say, I need to just, I need to fill up again. I need to fill up. Yeah. And it's not selfish. It's no. self-full. Yeah, I love that. I love that reframing there because, and I think that's been so much of what this book has has been about. Um, and I mean, this this quote that's right here 
Um, on the on the front cover by Jack Cornfield says this book is a gift, a wise and compassionate guide for those who undertake the difficult work of caring for the traumas of this world. Mm, yeah, it's a wise and compassionate guide. I think so that we can bring wisdom and compassion to our own sense of self, and and so I'm I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for the ways that you uh, that you've lifted this up through your your uh, your experience here, and I I wanted to. Uh, to lift up for our you know, the the biblical foundation, I think for for this for me, I I have used the example of writing a personal mission statement when preaching on this text uh, in the in the past. Um, but it's the story from Luke chapter four of Jesus being rejected in Nazareth. Um, this is Luke four, uh, starting at verse sixteen, and. Um, you know, I told you beforehand, I, I wasn't decided yet whether I wanted to end this this verse early. I think I'm going to carry it on to verse 30 because there, there is a good, uh, a good balance here. So uh, this is the rejection of Jesus at Nazareth from Luke. It says, when Jesus came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day as was his custom. He stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. They said, Is not this Joseph's son? And I could end there because this is, and I love this, is the, I think the Revised Common Lectionary actually breaks this out into two lessons. And I remember preaching this as a two-part sermon one time um, of, i got good news and I've got bad news. <laughs> because the good news here, I mean, Jesus comes into the temple and he, he, he lays out his mission statement here. Uh, Spirit of the Lord's upon me, who have been anointed to bring good news to the poor, release the captives, recover your sight to the blind, let the oppressed go free, proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Amen. Go do it. And he does. If you look through the lens of the rest of the gospel, that's exactly what Jesus does. He lives according to this mission. It goes downhill, though. The sermon goes great. People love the sermon. It was coffee hour where things took a turn. Um, Because afterwards in this dialogue, he said to them, Doubtless you will quote me this proverb, Doctor, cure yourself, and you will say, Do hear also in your hometown the things that we have heard you did at Capernaum. And he said, truly, I tell you, no prophet is accepted in the prophet's hometown. The truth is, there, are, there were many widows in Israel in the time of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up for three years and six months, and there was severe famine over all the land. Yet Elijah was sent to none of them except to a widow at Zarephath in Sidon. There were also many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them were cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. When they heard this, all in the synagogue were filled with rage, They got up, drove him out of the town, and led him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they might hurl him off the cliff. But he passed through the midst of them and went on his way. I wanted to lift up the last section because this authenticity with which Jesus lives, this clear sense of self, he has an opportunity for the rubber to hit the road here. And this this dialogue that happens, he says, you think I'm going to give you all some home cooking. They were excited. This is not this Joseph's son. This is our guy. Yeah. He's he's said, oh, this this is about us. Yeah. And he says, 
No. I mean, yes, but no. You think that this is only home cooking, mm-hmm. but I'm going to name all of these different stories from our, from our tradition that you're very uncomfortable with. Because it was one of those like, okay, yeah, we, we know about the widow at Zarephath in Sidon. We don't like Sidon. We don't like, we don't like them. We didn't really want God to do that. And we don't really know why God did. Mm-hmm. So don't bring up that story. And, and then don't bring up, you know, Naaman the Syrian, because we didn't like them either. And yet God's favor was poured out on somebody who wasn't us. And, and so that's when they want to throw him off a cliff. There is this element, I think, of, of living with intention and understanding ourselves where it can be misunderstood um, and, 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 and challenged. Uh, here, I love that Jesus has this clear sense of who he is and he lives by it. But sometimes this sense of self where we think, you know, that you're taking care of yourself. That's selfish. You're supposed to be helping. You've cultivated joy for yourself. Something we talked about in episode two. Like you cultivated joy for yourself, but this world is hurting. How dare you? Mm-hmm. And there's plenty of these moments where I think we're incredibly misunderstood in the way that we live out our our, our sense. How do you, how do you hear this from from the perspective of this conversation on, on intention? How do you hear this? Story? So when I first um, thought about this in re- this scripture in relation to this book, um, I heard this as a leadership lesson, <laughs> and the leadership lesson was: do what you know is right. Not everybody's going to agree, hmm. and you'll still, when you go to bed at night, you can look in that mirror, and you feel good about yourself. You know, if the headlines in the newspaper are um, saying what you did, are you okay with that? That's what we got to do, and it's not to placate other people. And it's not to try to make everybody love you because not everybody's going to love you. But you got to love yourself. And if I'm not being authentic, then I'm not taking care of myself. And I think that's really important because especially in, during these times we're living in right now. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. You know, and um, it is hard living an authentic life because you're not going to please everybody including the closest people to you. You know, so the closest people to you might live in your town, like Jesus. <laughs> but he could have said whatever would have made them feel good. Absolutely. But that would not have been authentic. And so to me, the lesson is figure out who you are, what your values are, what you believe, what your purpose is in this world. Be intentional about making it come true and know that you're not going to please everybody along the way. Yeah. And and I think that, because we do see a contrast in sense of self versus selfish. Because they thought we're going to get home cooking Absolutely. from this. We were going to get, mm-hmm. we, got the, we got this powerful prophet all to ourselves. Yeah. The Messiah is one of us. But Jesus is showing you don't you don't yet understand that this is good news for you too, and the fact that I am blowing the doors on this wide open. And if love is for for the widow at Zarephath and and for Naaman the Syrian, then love is for you too. Mm-hmm. I'm 
this is bigger. This is bigger than this space. And I don't think you're seeing the ways that that this is love and liberation for you as well. Right. And and so I appreciate that sense of living authentically. Um, because this is the most authentic way that Jesus can live this out is by then saying it's not about a special insider group. You don't get it. I'm talking about the lowly. I'm talking about the poor and the captive and the blind. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's it's not y'all. Like, I'm, it is you, but it's it's not just you. And and I think that there's plenty of times when we if we live with this compassionate authenticity and this clear sense mm. of who we are and how we want to help both the world, it it will be misunderstood at times. And and, yeah. and when we are trying to transform the world and transform lives, I think of one of my um, one of my heroes, a, a theological giant who lived among the uh, in the uh, civil rights movement, uh, mm. Pastor Will Campbell. Mm. who was a uh, pastor in the Deep South, um, grew up in a church that uh, he realized the front cover of the Bibles was emblazoned with the Ku Klux Klan logo. Like they, they are the ones that donated the Bibles for the church that he grew up in. He was <clears throat> a really important part of the civil rights movement. Mm. Uh, he was one of the only, he was the only white pastor invited to the first gathering of the, of pastors that, uh, Dr. King assembled. Um, and, and he was, he walked with the little rock nine. He was involved in this movement mm. in all these different ways. Um, but after Dr. King's death, he was, uh, he was ostracized by the movement in a big way. And, and there was a lot of folks that he, he rubbed the wrong way all throughout his life because, you know, he would be willing to cross the line and go talk to the other side. And, like, what are you doing sitting on the front porch sharing, sharing a whiskey with the, with the Grand Wizard of this chapter of the KKK? What are you doing? What are you doing going to prison and visiting Dr. King's killer? And, and his, his philosophy... Um, it was that if I believe that God loves us all, God loves us all. Like I'm here saying that God loves all of my my siblings of color here. God also loves the people that are perpetuating the opposite of that. And I'm trying to go be my authentic self. And it's it's rubbing them the wrong way that I am who I am and I do what I do. But I'm trying to show them that they're loved. And, and so that it was a consistency and intentionality in his life that I found incredibly inspiring. And he was he was alienated in a lot of ways from uh, from the movement um, because he lived with that consistency, and and so there's but there's so many different moments like that. I always I think I always think of Will Campbell when I think about this story from Luke Four. That's because, powerful. Yeah, That's powerful. That, that consistent authenticity um, mm-hmm. is there, but I think it only comes from a, from a clear sense of our values and our mission and ourself. And that takes work. Yeah, so it takes work. We usually leave off uh, these conversations with some questions. Mm-hmm. I, I'm curious if you, um, maybe rather than, than questions, um, she's got a few suggestions that are here at the end of the chapter mm-hmm. of, of try this. But I'm, I'm curious on, uh, from, from your perspective, what would it take for someone to, um, to write their own personal mission statement? To, if that was our, our take home and the kind of project for anybody that's listening, sure. What would you recommend as some steps to to do that process? Uh, so uh, I think it first starts with values clarification. Write down your top ten values. And 
I prioritize those values. And then say, okay, well, what does this value look like in my life right now? You know, from a concrete standpoint. Uh, what does it look like? How am I living it? And then I think it's also important to do that calendar audit. Um, but then to say, okay, if I take all this together, what do I want to, what do I, who do I want to be? You know, it's too often, I think what happens is we live our life, uh, you know, life happens to me mm-hmm. instead of me being the architect of my life. Actually, God's the architect of my life, but anyway, on this earth, I, I, I've got to do some action. <laughs> yeah. You know, and so then it's starting to say, okay, well, if I say all these things are important, then what does that look like in uh, a quote or a phrase or a scripture or a picture? Because I think one of the things that's really important about mission statements is they are very personal. I'm not writing my mission statement for you. I'm writing it for me. And so what's going to resonate with me that I could look at every day and say, this is going to help give me guidance for the day? And... <clears throat> It, I think it should be short enough that you can remember it. You know, I, I read a big, long one. Mm-hmm. Mine's also, I have a short version, and it's to transform lives. Boom. That's my job. That's my purpose in life. Mm-hmm. And by doing that, then at the end of the day, I can say, what did you do today to transform a life? It's an easy check. <laughs> and if I look back and I said, oh, I didn't do anything, I said, hmm, maybe you need to be working a little harder on what's really important in life. Because our lives are so busy. And we can spend time putting out fires all day long and dealing with the craziness of the day. But what I love about a mission statement is if we really pay attention to it, it tells us what's really important. So it puts all those other things in their proper perspective. And then I can delegate that amount of time to whatever the fire is for the day. But it is, to me, it starts with values. I like that. All right, so we've got we've got values, prioritize them, how we live them concretely. Um, I like the, the calendar audit that goes with that. I, I like to... Uh, often say that our uh, within organizations within a church structure as well I say that you know calendars and budgets are moral documents um, are they actually aligned with your morals are they actually right. reflecting the things that you value mm-hmm. um, and you know how, how you spend your time and how you spend your money mm-hmm. um, does that reflect who you are um, and so I think that is a it's a great piece of, of reflection. Who do I want to be? Um, and yeah, letting it be personal. You know, I, I mentioned my roommate didn't understand what my mission statement meant to me. That's okay. His not his his misunderstanding of it turned into it, making it a little funny and making it more even yeah. more memorable for me. And so that's great. But I love that that very personal. You're not writing this for anybody but yourself. You're welcome to share it with others. I'm grateful that you shared it here. Um, <coughs> One of my favorite mission statements from a student, she had tattooed on her ankle. And the tattoo simply said, scatter joy. Mm -hmm. 
And I thought, wow, that is so cool. And I love that. Two words that are so powerful, but that was her mission statement. You know? And so that's what I mean about make it personal. Yeah. Um, I'd kind of maybe maybe we need them all tattooed on us. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> I get probably some maybe a weird conversation starter it, for me. It uh, would but be. I, I it mean, would I would be. I'd welcome that. I, I you know, anytime I can get to a good conversation about a lived baptismal theology, that's right. Uh, I'm I'm good with that. Well, and and so you know, for a big sense like that, uh, for a big picture mission statement, something that can help define a sense of daily intention. Um, I love that that structure. She offers up at the end of the chapter here. Um, when the day begins, take several deep breaths, close your eyes, ask yourself, what is my intention today? Uh, she asks about at the end of the day, what can I put down? What am I ready to be done with? Um, and then she also talks about designated day of rest. Um, you know, whether you call it Shabbat, Sabbath, or simply a day off, like that's, that's one that is a very, uh, we can, we'll, we'll claim that as a very Christian principle. There's a reason for rest, that reset, that moment. I mean, and I think it can happen in moments too, that, that time of noon working out, that time of worship on a Sunday morning that allows you to reorient your life around the rhythm that right. you want to live. Um, I think those those kind of moments are really key. And so I know my encouragement with this for folks would be to say, this isn't something that's going to happen in like a 30-minute sit-down reflection. Uh, I think it's something that you can take some time with it and be intentional. Um, at the time that we're recording this, we are on the cusp of Lent. Uh, I think that, that sense of uh, that sense can be something we walk with and cultivate throughout a, a longer season. Um, in conversation is always good, but it is it is personal, and, yeah. and I yeah. appreciate you you lifting that up. I think I think the other thing with the mission statement that's really important is people want it to be perfect the first time they write it. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be perfect. Don't get caught in that, and you can wordsmith later. Uh, but the but the second part of that is, I really do believe put it in a place that you're going to see every day. Uh, at least till you get to the point you feel like you've internalized it, you know. And so whether it's a bathroom mirror, or whether it's your favorite nightstand, or whether it's comes pops up on your phone, whatever. But it's that idea of I need to make this part of that daily activity is read through my mission statement, and that helps give me my guidance for the day, and then it becomes part of who I am. Yeah, it becomes the center of ourself yeah, that, absolutely she, the that center. she talks about, absolutely and that's you know when we're feeling lost and we're looking for the direction that is yeah. a direction to travel. She's she's got these four outward directions that we talked about last week, but this is the, it, the traveling to our center and yeah. finding who and what is at the heart of us. And you know she she's bringing a lot of the Eastern philosophy to this, but I think as well, you know we find the image of God yeah. in ourselves as we truly look to the center of who we are. Yeah, and I think, you know, I think about your last podcast, and um, there was a section on balance. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a friend who, who talks about life balance, and he says, well, there's no such thing. And what he says is, there's life, what we need to be striving for is life harmony. Mm. And to me, I really like that, because when I think of being centered, it's a life of harmony. It is how I'm making decisions that fill me up and that make me feel good. I'm not ever going to be balanced, yeah. you know. 
But but am I comfortable with the decisions I'm making to be self-full? Yeah. Well, but even the attempt to find balance of saying, I know I'm not in balance right now, but I'm leaning to try to find, I'm leaning back to, to yeah. get more to balance. You can't do that without a center. You can't do that without a, a, without a, a pivot point here. And right. so... Thank you for yes. helping us talk about our, our center uh, today. So um, this has, I think, been a wonderful way, uh, yet not of concluding this this podcast. I like to think this is a way of opening it up. I'm, I'm looking forward to conversations that, that continue to happen around this, this great book, around these important concepts. Um, and so for anyone who's been listening uh, to the podcast, I want to encourage you to, to walk with your conversation partner um, and share whatever part of this you're comfortable sharing in, in all these various spaces we have, whether it's on our Muhlenberg Lutheran Facebook page, on our Instagram at Muhlenberg LC or on YouTube, wherever you engage with uh, this podcast, we encourage you to share and engage and pass this on and be in dialogue with others. Um, and and I thank you for gathering with us around the wellspring. I know in my my notes I say we look forward to another episode next week. Um, I don't know what the next series will be, but this won't be the uh, the final uh, episode here. Uh, we'll have new series for the for the wellspring coming up, and I'm looking forward to uh, the ways that allows grace to to meet us where we are. Uh, but in the meantime, I encourage you to learn more about our Muhlenberg congregation online by joining us for worship uh, each Sunday at 8.30 and 11 Eastern Standard Time. The 11 o'clock service is streamed live on Facebook and YouTube. In addition to your financial support of the ministry of Muhlenberg makes the many ministries, including digital ones like this, possible for our community. You can make your gifts online at www.muhlenberglutheran.org slash give. I'm Pastor Alex Zuber. I'm Mark Warner. And I am so glad we could be together today. Pray that God's grace has bubbled up to meet you wherever you are. Now, go in peace to live out Christ's love.